This is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from a very warm and humid ARN studio, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. We have had pouring rain for the last day or so. Um, my understanding is it's the, the remnants of Tropical Storm Hillary, which hit Southern California a couple of days ago, and uh, it has made its way up here and began dumping a lot of rain up here, which we are very grateful for because we have had fires and smoke in the air and everything around here. And so we're thankful for the rain. It is an answer to prayer. Cooler temperatures. Um, but it has toasted up the humidity and so it feels very muggy i know it's only 70 degrees in my office which is typical um it's what the air conditioning is set on but uh it uh it's a muggy 70 degrees right now and for the sensibility i know i've got i'm i'm couple of weeks I'm going to be down in Atlanta for G3 and I am going to be muggy and wet the whole time I'm down there and uh, I know that uh, the thought of being in the vast exhibit hall or the vast you know hall where the uh, sessions are taking place with all those people packed in with that humidity is not something I'm really looking forward to but that's what it is. Um, but it's uh, my hair is still wet, and uh, from the shower this morning, and my shower was an hour and a half ago. <laughs> so it just it's very damp today. I, I've got a my thermometer back here has a humidity gauge, fifty one percent humidity, which I know everybody down south is laughing because that's remarkably not humid, but. <laughs> Here in Montana, in western Montana, here in the Piney Woods, that's humid. So it's a, it's a muggy morning here. I, I drove up, I think I said yesterday that I was driving up to uh, Kootenai, Idaho to have lunch with Jim Osmond and Andrew Rappaport and Josh Comstock and, uh, and a, a, a gentleman from Jim and Josh's church named Jay who was... Uh, I think hosting Andrew while he's up here. And he's been teaching. Andrew's been up here teaching at a variety of churches. And I think at camp. He told me he, he, he spoke at a camp and, and uh, spoke at a, you know, has done evangelism classes. His evangelism classes are fabulous. Um, done evangelism classes at several churches in the area. But it, my understanding is he's been staying with Jay. Um, who I had met before, I don't know well, but I had met before. Um, very nice guy. And so went over there for lunch. And because of the fire up near Paradise, Montana, which is right on Highway 200, I decided to drive through Coeur d'Alene. So I took I-90 over the pass to, to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and then up north to on, on 95. And we had a great lunch. Um, 
this fabulous, fabulous cream cheese egg roll appetizers that were just, oh, to die for. And uh, that was really, really good. And I had a I had a big, messy jalapeno burger that was just fabulous. But we had a great time uh, visiting and everything. But I decided to come back because coming back, you know, don't have an appointment. If I get delayed on the trip home, it's not that big a deal. So I decided to drive back on Highway 200, and uh, which is generally the route I take. Um, it actually takes, it's shorter, but it takes longer because it's not interstate. It's two lane and uh, you're slowing down to go through towns and everything like that. And, uh, but it's a, it's a pretty drive. And so I, I enjoy driving Highway 200 when I head over to Kootenai. And so I'm, it's about a two and a half hour drive. Either way, I mean, it's, there's like 10 minutes difference between the two routes. Um, but like I said, I wanted to avoid the fire. But as it had been raining all day. And so I decided to drive back 200, come back through the fire area, and see what I could see. And I did not realize that the, the fire came right down to the highway. And uh, so driving through Paradise and uh, um, everything... You could it, it it had the distinctive smell of wet campfire because it was pouring down rain and I could still see you know smoke in the burnt trees and everything because it was right next to the road. Um, they had the traffic slowed to thirty five through there, um, so had plenty of time to look around and 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 watch. Uh, several groups of firefighters just standing next to their trucks and enjoying the rain. You know they're happy. Cooler temperatures and rain. Rain is continuing today, so hopefully it will um, continue to knock these fires down, and perhaps this will mark the end of our fire season. Um, normally, once fire season starts, it ends when the snows fly. So I'm hoping this rain is is going to knock these fires down. Um, it was starting to get smoky outside and all of that. So happy to see the 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 rain definitely happy to see the rain it's a it's a a blessing and an answer to prayer and we will continue to pray for more rain until the fires are out um this is squirrel chatter a podcast dedicated to scripture theology history current events and whatever else i want to talk about we webcast every monday through friday at 7 30 a.m mountain on twitter facebook and rumble and then the podcast is available Wherever you find fine podcasts, Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. Head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are certain to find something worth listening to. I guarantee it. All right. You know, I'm going to have to start. I, I refuse to call Twitter X. Now, that's going to have to take a while because it's Twitter. You tweet things. You retweet things. This, you know, for 10 years I've been a member of Twitter and using Twitter, and now they changed the name to X, and and apparently there's some weird stuff going on that it might not be the platform we had hoped it would be when Elon Musk bought it. Um, now, on the one hand, you know, he's trying to make money with it, and I understand the ad revenue and all of that. Um, 
but at the same time, you know, if he makes it unusable, then he's not going to have the ad revenue because he's going to lose the users. And I don't want Twitter to become parlor <laughs> or parlay, um, which of course has completely vanished. I had to block the parlor.com emails because once the parlor uh, website was sold, the they you know the reason the the reason it was, it was bought by an advertising company and the reason they bought it was to get the email list. Um, and so I started getting spam advertising emails from Parler, and so I just finally blocked the domain. So you know they they talked about they were gonna they were reworking the app and they were gonna bring it back and all. Now you'll never see it again. And uh, and uh, we still got Gitter and Gab and and Truth Social. I'm not sure how Truth Social is going. It's just one of those things that you you look at and you, I I pop in there every once in a while. Um, it's it's basically all Trump all the time. It, it seems to be a Trump campaign organ, and I'm not seeing a lot of general use, even from the 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 friends that I follow and the people I know. I'm not seeing general use on Truth Social. Um, but then again, I only pop on usually for a few minutes every morning when I'm posting the podcast. So. There's that. All right. Well, it is Tuesday. What do we got coming up today? We have prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. And then we have our study Bible level Bible study. We're looking at Deuteronomy 16, 1 through 17 today. We're getting into the feasts. Um, I should be able to get through all of that. <laughs> we'll, we'll give it a chance. Um, we'll see how far we get. Let us begin, as is our practice, with the Prayer of Confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name, Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, our reading from Daily Readings from the Life of Christ by John MacArthur. Our devotional today is Jesus on God's Love for Enemies. I say, but I say to you, love your enemies, Matthew 5:44a. Dr. MacArthur writes, People tend to base love on the attractiveness and likability of the one loved. They love the so-called beautiful people, enjoyable activities, nice houses, and sharp cars. 
That list could go on, but Jesus' kind of love is need-oriented. In his parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke 10.29 and Luke 10.36 and 37, the Samaritan showed tremendous love because he sacrificed his own convenience, safety, and finances to help a desperately needy man. The love our God sets forth here is translated from the Greek agape, the noblest and best New Testament love. It is the form of love that strives to meet another's utmost welfare. Such love may involve emotions, but it must involve action. Like every aspect of righteousness, love originates in the regenerate heart, but it shows its fullest potential by what it does. More than anything, this kind of love is the love God is, expresses, and provides. Romans 5.5 5. Romans 5, 8, 1 John 4, 7 through 12, which allows us to love as he loved. When Christ told his apostles, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, John 13, 34, he had just washed their feet as an example of agape love. The apostles were self-centered, quarrelsome, envious of one another, and even sometimes challenged the Lord, yet Jesus always did for them what was for their good. And this is how he wants all of us who claim to follow him to show love, even for our enemies. Ask yourself, few biblical mandates are more unnatural to our desires and experiences, but few make us more sterling examples of the difference Christ makes in an ordinary individual's life. If you are currently dealing with situations that call for this kind of love, how do you intend to express it? Love your enemies. All right. Let us now pray our prayer for the reading of God's Word. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, Grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by the patience and comfort of your holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. All right, well, we are continuing our study Bible level Bible study today. We are looking at Deuteronomy 16, 1 through 17. But I, I must be a, a newer listener. I got a, a message um, last week saying, "Why do you call it a study Bible level Bible study? What are you What are you getting to?" And so, to explain that, I want to point out that this is a a not necessarily a surface level Bible study, but it's not a real deep dive. What we're what I do just to tell you how I prepare for the Tuesday and Wednesday study Bible level Bible study. I very rarely grab a commentary off the wall. I've got several commentaries. Some of them, there's two of my commentaries on Deuteronomy are multiple volume, and then I've got some thick ones and some thin ones, and there's. I'm saying one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 
seven commentaries, I think, on Deuteronomy up there on my shelf. For this Bible study, I'm very rarely grabbing those off the shelf. Now, every once in a while, I'll hit something, and and I, I want a little bit more in-depth look at it, and I'll grab the commentary and look through it. But for the most part, I read through the passage, and then I read through the notes in specifically four study Bibles. I read through the notes in the MacArthur Study Bible, I read through the notes in the ESV Study Bible, I read through the notes in the CSB Study Bible, and I read through the notes in the Life Application Study Bible. And I read through those notes, and then I jot down some notes. Sometimes I just copy a note from one of those study Bibles into my notes, um, which I, I don't read, but I have it there in front of me. And I'll find all the you know cross-references and stuff I want to look at, and I'll put them in my notes. But I'm not doing a deep dive. I mean, we're doing huge chunks of scripture. So we're, we're, it's a study Bible level Bible study. It's not a sermon level Bible study. It's not a commentary level Bible study. It's a study Bible level Bible study where we're trying to get an overview of the book. Now I said, we're trying to get an overview of the book. The book is 50 some chapters how, how long is, I will look, no, it's not that long, 20, what is it, yeah, we're, we're past halfway, yeah, here we go, last chapter, I think, is 32, 34, 34, so we got 34 chapters, we're at 16, so we're actually not quite halfway, but you get the point. But, and it's taken us months to get to chapter 16. So I'm not flying through the book, but we're still not going real deep. So that's why it's a study Bible level Bible study. It's the, the level of understanding that I'm trying to impart is the same level of understanding you would get by reading a good study Bible. And that's all it is. Um, so... That, I hope that helps. <laughs> if anybody was wondering why we're calling it that, that's what it is. All right. We are in Deuteronomy chapter 16. And here Moses is talking about the feasts, the annual feasts that Israel was to partake in. And uh, I'm going to read first, verses 1 through 8, and we'll talk about Passover. Then I'll read verses 9 through 12, and we'll talk about the Feast of Weeks. And then 13 through 17, and we'll talk about the Feast of Tabernacles. So, or the Feast of Booths. I guess booths is the, the word that uh, the LSB uses here. All right. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Keep the month of Abed, and celebrate the Passover to Yahweh your God. For in the month of Abed, Yahweh your God brought you out of Egypt by night. And you shall sacrifice the Passover to Yahweh your God from the flock and the herd in the place where Yahweh chooses for his name to dwell. 
You shall not eat leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat with it unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, for you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, so that you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. For seven days no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory, and none of the flesh which you sacrifice on the evening of the first day shall remain overnight until morning. You are not allowed to sacrifice the Passover in any of your gates of the towns which Yahweh your God is giving you, but at the place where Yahweh your God chooses for his name to dwell. There you shall sacrifice the Passover in the evening at sunset at the appointed time that you came out of Egypt. And you shall cook and eat it in the place which Yahweh your God chooses. In the morning you are to return to your tents. Six days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a solemn assembly to Yahweh your God. You shall do no work on it. So this is the Feast of Passover, which of course goes back to the Exodus. Um, and, and remember Moses is speaking to the generation after the generation that experienced the Passover. So these are not the not the people who came out of Egypt, these are their children that he is speaking to because that entire generation that experienced the Passover had died in the wilderness because of their unbelief and their disobedience. So now he is reinstituting the Passover, but there are there are some changes. Now, um, in the month of Abed, which is the spring month, you know, March, April, um, the, the Jewish calendar is a lunar calendar. It differs from the solar calendar. The month started on the new moon. So the middle of the month was always a full moon. So Passover always takes place on a full moon. Um, that's an interesting thing to, to remember because, you know, it, it totally negates the darkness in the middle of the day during the crucifixion as being a, a uh, um, eclipse. It couldn't have been eclipse. When the moon's full, it's on the opposite side of the earth from the sun. There's no way it can come between the sun and the earth to cause an eclipse. So the darkness that fell upon uh, Jerusalem when Jesus was on the cross, that had nothing to do with a solar eclipse. That had nothing to do with a natural event. Uh, so keep that in mind. So they're supposed to celebrate it in Abib because that was when God brought them out of Egypt. That was the month it's uh, elsewhere called uh, Nisan. It, it depends. On, um, Abib was the Hebrew name, I believe, and Nisan was the 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 Babylonian, Canaanite, Assyrian name for the month. Same month, different name. Um, but so that's that's the period of time, and 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 the reason is if you if you follow when Passover happens you see that it does move around on our calendar. And that's because the Jewish calendar is different. Um, Jewish year only has 360 days instead of 365 days. And so every few years, and I'm not sure the exact ratio, 
every few years they add an extra month to bump it because their dates keep getting earlier and you can't have Passover in the fall. It's a spring feast and, and all of their months are happen, happen this way. So as on our calendar, we see their dates get earlier and earlier and earlier and then they jump back later in the year. That's because they, they periodically add this extra month to keep their months synced with the seasons. Um, and so, that, and it, it's, you know, just an interesting thing that they're out of sync. Um, the, the lunar calendar does not sync up with the solar year, and the seasons are based on the solar year because the sun affects our seasons <laughs> a lot more than the moon does. So it says, And you shall sacrifice the Passover to Yahweh your God from the flock and the herd in the place where Yahweh chooses for his name to dwell. Now maybe, you know, just to briefly review what the Passover was. The Passover was the, the, the final plague on Egypt prior to the Exodus was the death of the firstborn. That all the firstborn of the land of Egypt were, were, were going to die in the middle of the night. And so the Passover was given by God where the, the lamb was sacrificed and the blood was placed over the on the doorposts and the lintels of the house where the Hebrews lived. And when the angel of death came through... Um, Egypt slaying all the firstborn the firstborn in the houses with the blood on the door were not slain the angel passed over those houses so that's Passover and the sacrifice for Passover was always a lamb spotless and without blemish and if you go back and read Exodus 23 and look at the the, the first Passover what you see is um, that the, the you had to take a lamb, it had to live with your family for a week. Now imagine, you know, this is this is becoming a pet. You know, the kids love it, they pet it, they feed it, and then you slaughter it. And you put the blood on the doorposts, and then you eat the flesh with bitter herbs, roasted. Anything you don't eat in the middle of the night, you have to burn up. All of that takes place, you know. To, it's, a, it's the value of a sacrifice. It's, it's, a, it's an object lesson. And, of course, it points to the cross um, so clearly. But so, the, but so the Passover takes place on that night of the 14th. Now, one of the interesting things is when did you sacrifice the Passover? It says on the 14th day of elsewhere. Here it just says it doesn't give the actual date, does it? I don't believe it does. But elsewhere we know it was the 14th day of the month. It was the, the full moon. And it says 
you sacrifice the Passover in the evening at sunset at the appointed time you came out of Egypt. Now we know from reading the the Passover meal took place in the night. It was the next morning that the Exodus took place when the you know, became daylight and everything. Although they may have been run out in the middle of the night. I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and read it. I, I did not reread the Exodus story. Um, I thought it was the next morning. I've always thought it was the next morning. Cecil B. DeMille depicted it as the next morning when Charlton Heston was Moses, which is another problem with watching movies about biblical events because now I'm thinking that's how it happened because that's how it happened in the movie. That's topic for another time. So, you know, the, the, the lamb was killed. Now, in the original Passover, the lamb was killed in each individual home. Killed and roasted and eaten. And, you know, eat, you're, you're supposed to eat it with uh, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. So you're ready to leave. You're ready to move out. Um, which is one of the reasons why I think, you know, maybe they did come around and run them out in the middle of the night. But I'd, I'd have to look. Um, not going to look back and look at it now. I'll, I'll report on that tomorrow. Excuse me. All right, so. The, uh, it was originally sacrificed in the individual houses, but now coming into, now, and for, you know, 40 years wandering in the wilderness, Israel was all encamped together, even if the camp was half the size of Delaware, they were all together, so they celebrated the Passover together. But here it says, you're to celebrate the Passover, you're to, you're to, uh, in the place where God chooses for his name to dwell, which is, you know, as the people are scattered throughout the land of Israel, as they spread out to occupy the land, the tabernacle stayed in one place. Shiloh, you know, eventually Jerusalem, eventually the tabernacles replaced with a temple. You know, so we had a place where God set his name. And that was where the Passover was to be sacrificed. The Passover, it doesn't seem to me that you took the Passover to the temple and the priest sacrificed it. Now, later that became a custom, um, but that, that's not commanded. It's just the place. The, the actual descriptions of the Passover, it, it's the father of the family that sacrifices the animal. Later, it became a priestly duty, but that's a you know, tradition that arose that wasn't, you know, it's the, it's the priest that offered the sacrifices, therefore, kind of thing. Um, you know, it's like you'd take your lamb to the temple, they'd slaughter it, you'd take it home and roast it. But that doesn't seem to be the regulation. Because originally, like I said, it was the, the father of the house that slaughtered the lamb, and then it was roasted and eaten at home. And it, it, it so... You know, we don't necessarily know exactly how that was supposed to fall out. But it says you, you take it to the place where God will set his name, and there you sacrifice it, and then you eat it. And you eat it with unleavened bread. 
this was symbolic of the haste of the departure. You didn't have time to let your bread rise. And so the unleavened bread, you just make bread without yeast so it doesn't rise. Um, this is why, you know, we typically use an unleavened bread for communion in the Christian church. Um, because, you know, the, you know, even your communion wafers are usually an unleavened bread. Now, I have been to bread at, at churches where they pass a baguette of French bread and everybody just breaks off a piece and it's leavened bread and that's, but it, it, we're not commanded to celebrate the, pass, the, the communion with unleavened bread. Just don't use Skittles and Diet Coke. Um, yeah, somebody actually did that. But you're not to eat leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread. Now, you're, they're not eating the lamb for seven days. None of the lamb was allowed to be kept overnight. You ate dinner. When everyone was full, everything that was left of the lamb was burnt up so that nothing remained. Um, it was a complete sacrifice. Um, so it's a, it's a combination of a you eat it and you it's a burnt offering. Um, nothing was supposed to be kept until the next day. It says, uh, you know, the, this is verse 4. Um, None of the flesh which you sacrifice on the evening of the first day shall remain overnight until morning. Now what I was saying about the time of the sacrifice, the date is given as the 14th of the month. But according to the Jewish calendar, the days begin at sundown, which is why the Sabbath is celebrated from sundown Friday night until sundown Saturday night. That's the Jewish Sabbath, because that's the way their calendar worked. And that's going back to Genesis, there was evening and there was morning the first day. So the night was the first part of the day. And the daylight portion was the second part of the day on their calendar. So when it says that the sacrifice was made in the evening at twilight, or here it says, I believe it says sundown. Um, what did it say? In the evening at sunset. So the question is, was that the beginning of the 14th day? which begins at sunset? Or was that the end of the 14th day, which ends at sunset? Um, and so there was debate about this. And this is how, and, and this is something to think about. This is why Jesus could celebrate the Passover with his disciples the night before he was crucified. And he was crucified at the time the Passover sacrifices were made. How did that work? Well, he celebrated it at the beginning of the 14th. And he was crucified at the end of the 14th. So, and, and this was something that had happened through time. They had argued about when does the Passover, when do you, when do you eat the meal? And so there were some who ate the meal on 
the beginning of the 14th, and there were some who ate the meal after the 14th. So that's, you know, that debate was raging 2,000 years ago. We're not going to solve it now because this was something that the, you know, it actually developed, I think, by God's providence so that on that last Passover, Jesus would be able to celebrate Passover with his disciples and die on Passover. So, uh, God is, God is good. Um, but the, uh, um, the sacrifice was made on the 14th and then the next day was the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days, you ate no leavened bread with your meals. Now there isn't a, there isn't a strict diet that they were to keep during that time. There isn't a, you know, this is what you eat during this time. It's just whatever you eat, you eat it with unleavened bread. So there's not to be any leaven found during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then the end of the feast, and, and elsewhere we see the, the first and last day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is always a Sabbath. Not the weekly Sabbath. It could fall on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. It could, you know, fall on a Friday. But the, the day after Passover and the last day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread are always a Sabbath day. It's different from the weekly Sabbath. It's a special Sabbath. And so um, this, is, this is one of the reasons why it's hard to, it's hard to say emphatically that the, the, or the crucifixion took place on Friday. The argument that is always made is that the next day was the Sabbath, so it had to be Friday. It was Passover. The next day was always a Sabbath. Yeah. It, it may not be the weekly Sabbath. It might be a Tuesday as far as the day of the week, but the day after Passover was always a Sabbath day. So I actually think that both Friday and Saturday were Sabbaths that week. Friday being the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, being a Sabbath, Saturday being the weekly Sabbath. Um, and so I, I see the crucifixion taking place on Thursday. I'm not dogmatic about it. Um, but when I count the days, reading through the Gospels, beginning with, you know, the triumphal entry, which we know took place on the first day of the week, then you count the days, and it sure, I come up with four, not five. <laughs> so it's looking like, you know, to me, the Passover was on Thursday, with the crucifixion on Thursday. Friday, being the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, would have been a Sabbath. Saturday would have been the weekly Sabbath. So you would have had a back-to-back 48-hour -back Sabbath. Um, and, and that's just because that's the way the Jewish calendar worked. Can't be dogmatic about it, but it works better because it gives us three days and three nights in the, in the heart of the earth, uh, which is the phrase that Jesus used. Um, but they also say he rose on the third day, so that might fit a Friday. And so we can't be dogmatic about it. Um, it's one of those, it's a, it's a good topic of discussion, but it's not necessarily something to fight about. Um, 
So that's the Passover. And then we have the Feast of Weeks. Let me read verses 9 through 12. You shall count seven weeks for yourself. You shall begin to count seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle in to the standing grain. Then you shall celebrate the Feast of Weeks to Yahweh your God with a tribute of a freewill offering of your hand which you shall give just as Yahweh your God blesses you, and you shall be glad before Yahweh your God, you and your son and your daughter and your male and your female slaves and the Levite who is within your gates and the sojourner and the orphan and the widow who are in the midst in the place where Yahweh your God chooses for his name to dwell. And you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. So the... Festival of Weeks, or as we know it, Pentecost, says, this began on the Feast of First Fruits. Now, it says here that at the time you begin to put the sickle into the, the standing grain. And the date that's actually given elsewhere, and again, I didn't look up the references, but the date is that it is the the Sabbath, the day after the Sabbath after the Passover. The day after the weekly Sabbath after the Passover. So first fruits always takes place on Sunday, the first Sunday after the Passover. That is the start of that that's the day of first fruits, and that's the start of the counting until the uh, day of Pentecost. So you count seven weeks, which is 49 days. And then the 50th day is the day of Pentecost, which, you know, penta means five. So that it's the 50th day. So we understand that. Well, this is... Um, yeah, so Jesus would have been resurrected on the day of first, the Feast of First Fruits. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit fell upon the church at Pentecost. And that's the birthday of the, of the church. So, very important uh, days. He says, you know, You shall celebrate the Feast of Weeks to Yahweh your God with a tribute of a freewill offering of your hand, which you shall give just as Yahweh your God blesses you. So, again, we see that proportional part of the giving you know it's it's as god blesses you you give if you if you have little you give little if you have a lot you give a lot it's as god has blessed you um and you shall be glad before yahweh your god you and your son and your daughter and your male and your female slaves and the levite who is within your gates and the sojourner and the orphan and the widow who are within your midst in the place where yahweh your god chooses for his name to dwell and you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. Um, so the, this was a a feast, and this is why this is why you had so many people still in Jerusalem when Pentecost came and the gospel began to be proclaimed publicly um, that first day of the church. Um, you, you had all these people still in Jerusalem 
because if you look at the end of this period, if you look at uh, verses 16 and 17, three times in a year, all your males shall appear before Yahweh your God in the place where, which he chooses at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is Passover in the week following, and the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booths. And they shall not appear before Yahweh empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessings of Yahweh your God, which he has given you. So, the, the last one, verses 13 through uh, 15, is the Feast of Booths. This is in the fall. It says, You shall celebrate the Feast of Booths seven days after you have gathered in from your threshing floor and your wine vat, and you shall be glad in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, and your male and female slave, and the Levite and the sojourner, and the orphan and the widow who are within your gates. Seven days you shall celebrate a feast to Yahweh your God in the place which Yahweh chooses, because Yahweh your God will bless you in all of your produce and in all the work of your hands, so that you will be altogether glad. The festival of booths, which take place in the fall, this is the big Thanksgiving festival. <clears throat> on the Jewish calendar. This is a celebration of the blessings of God. <clears throat> Passover and unleavened bread, they are remembering the Exodus. They're they're actually a very solemn occasion. Now there is joy, you know, that we were rescued out of Egypt, just as there is joy for us that we have been rescued out of our sin at Passover, by the sacrifice of the perfect, spotless, and righteous Lamb of Jesus Christ. There's joy there, but it's a solemn joy. Booth's was a festival of Thanksgiving. That was a time of really joyous celebration. Um, there isn't a somber aspect to Thanksgiving, to the festival of Booth's. These are the three feasts that every Hebrew male was required to go to. They had to there for the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, in verse 16, which includes the Passover. The, you know, the Passover and then the week following, the week of Unleavened Bread. They're supposed to be there for the Feast of Weeks, which is Pentecost. You know, it's not the whole seven weeks, it's the end of it. And then for the Feast of Booths in the fall. Now, later, as Israelites were scattered throughout the world, when, when the temple worship was reinstituted after the Babylonian captivity, it was no longer possible because you had Israelites, you had Hebrews in Babylon, you had Hebrews in Egypt, you had Hebrews, you know, in Anatolia, which is, you know, Turkey, you had Hebrews in Greece, you had Hebrews in Rome, you had Hebrews who had scattered because of the Assyrian and Babylonian captivities, they had been scattered throughout the nations surrounding Jerusalem. And they had, you know, established lives and generations had passed and, you know, so they were far off. So it was no longer um, practicable to attend in Jerusalem every year, three times a year, because of the 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 
the, the realities of travel, the expenses of travel, it would, you know, depending on where you were, it would take, you know, something like many weeks to get to Jerusalem and then many weeks to get home. Um, we, we take for granted, you know, our um, ability to travel rapidly. Oh, I think I, would, I went over to, to Kootenai and had lunch yesterday. Two-and-a-half-hour drive over there, two-and-a-half-hour drive back. I mean, it took me all day. It was, a, it was a commitment to go have lunch with my friends. But, you know, how long would that have taken on horseback? <laughs> you know, uh, it had taken me two weeks to get there and two weeks to get home. I wouldn't have gone for lunch. <laughs> if I was going over there, it would have been for an extended stay. And, and that's... We routinely drive to Missoula to do our shopping. You know, that would be three days on horseback and five days on foot. One way. So we take for granted the ease of travel. But we need to understand that in ancient times, travel was not easy. Um, and that's just, I mean not even dealing with the hardships of, of bandits and robbers on the road and whatnot. You know, just the, the actual physically making the journey. The, the, the bandits and everything is why they made journeys in great in numbers. You would join yourself to a caravan. You, you would go with a large group um, for the purposes of protecting each other. So, you know, if you were living in Babylon which many people, very few returned from Babylon. And this is one of the things that we need to understand is that you had a sizable Jewish community in Babylon, even at the time of Christ. When, when Peter says that he is writing from Babylon, a lot of people think that's code for Rome. No, I think he was writing from Babylon. He had gone to visit the Jewish community in Babylon and preach the gospel. Because you had a large number, you had a large Jewish population in the area. Now, Babylon was no longer the, the world capital, you know, and actually the city of Babylon was not where they had settled in the land of Babylonia. And so, but when he says he was writing from Babylon, I think he was writing from Babylon. The, I, I don't, you know, this whole idea that Babylon is code for Rome, I think in, in Revelation when John talks about Babylon, I think he's talking about Babylon. Now, Babylon is used symbolically of the ungodly world system as well. And that, that does need to be differentiated. But there are references to the city of Babylon in Revelation, and I'm pretty sure it's the city of Babylon. But that's that literal grammatical hermeneutic, that I, historical hermeneutic. That Last week, Mike Vlock did a video on his YouTube channel. If you do not find follow Dr. Michael Vlock's YouTube channel, I would urge you to find it and follow it. He is putting out, they're usually 20-30 minute uh, teaching videos from where he's teaching at, at Shepherds in South Carolina or North Carolina? In the Carolinas somewhere. Where he's teaching um, where he's teaching now and he's putting out these videos 
fairly regularly. Like I said, they're, they're you know, you know, a couple times a month, you know, often as you know, many as one a week, and covering a, a wide variety of, of theological topics and eschatological topics. Um, and it's it's good stuff. Um, Mike is one of the best teachers on these subjects that I know, and and fantastic modern scholar. Um, somebody that I I respect a great deal. Um, and so I would encourage you to follow Mike Vlock's YouTube channel. Well, he did a uh, video last week on the grammatical historical hermeneutic, which is fabulous. To to it's you know how to read the Bible. It's it's a good good uh, video on that. All right. Well, that is that takes us to verse 17. So we're going to stop there, especially because we only got five minutes till we've been on an hour. <laughs> and look, I'm using a paper Bible. After what I said yesterday, I, I'm I'm I have been. This is my reading Bible. <laughs> this is my giant print Legacy Standard Bible uh, with the fake leather cover. It's not not an expensive one, but it's it's big print. Oh, I like it. So this is my reading Bible. It's a paragraph format. It's a reference Bible. It's got your, your cross-references and stuff at the bottom. Um, like I said, the New American Standard um, of this layout was my preaching Bible for many years. Um, so it's a, it's a layout I like. Now, I'm preaching from the Inside Column Reference Bible. That's my preaching Bible now because I like the verse-by-verse. Verse. This is paragraph. I like the paragraph for reading. I like the verse-by-verse verse for, for study and preaching just because it's easier to find stuff, um, be that as it may. But after yesterday's discussion of rewritten Bibles and stuff, I just want to emphasize I'm using a paper Bible for our Tuesday and Wednesday study Bible-level Bible study. All right, let us recite our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Colic for the Twelfth Sunday after Pentecost. Keep your church, O Lord, by your perpetual mercy, and because without you the frailty of our nature causes us to fall, keep us from all things hurtful, and lead us to all things profitable for our salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. The Collect for Peace O God, the author of peace and lover of concord, to know you is eternal life and to serve you is perfect freedom. Defend us, your humble servants, in all assaults of our enemies, that we, surely trusting in your defense, May not fear the power of any adversaries. Through the might of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 
The Colic for the Unrepentant Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home, and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for this Tuesday, the 22nd day of August. I hope you have the best of days today. Remember to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. And whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.